I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bare man. I've breathed the mountain air, man. This is the road less traveled, presented by Nikki Shay. Welcome to this week's edition of the Road Less Travel Podcast. It's Nikki Shay back with you again with another adventure coming your way in just a few moments' time. As always, you can interact with the show. You can drop us an email or an SMS. SMS on 0427528467. And the email is fatcat at iinet.net.au. You can follow us on all the social medias, Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, it's the Road Less Travelled Podcast 2021. And on Facebook, just search for the Road Less Travelled Podcast Australia. As always, you can listen to previous episodes of the show too by heading to our website, which is fatcatmedia.com.au. You can hear Season 1 and Season 2 of the Road Less Travelled Podcast. This week, a different kind of Road Less Travelled Podcast. Have you been to Brisbane Airport? Well, if you have, you might have actually driven past this. If you're an aviation enthusiast and a Brisbane historian, allow yourself some extra time on your next trip to Brisbane Airport to visit the Kingsford Smith Memorial. This memorial is dedicated to the early Australian aviator Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, best known for making the first trans-Pacific flight from the United States to Australia, the first non-stop crossing of the Australian mainland, and the first flight between Australia and New Zealand. Now here you will find the preserved Southern Cross airplane which Kingsford Smith used for the Trans-Tasman flight. It's on display at this memorial and Brisbane Airport is the custodian of this really important relic for the Commonwealth of Australia. The best way to tour the centre is through a self-guided tour of the information boards or via the voiceover system that tells the story of the Southern Cross. It's completely free and it's open 24-7. You'll find it at Airport Drive at the Brisbane Airport. you find the memorial off Airport Drive. The exit is just before the roundabout at the International Terminal. And it's this dirty great big building that I actually stumbled on it by accident. Um, pulled in there in a hire car, got myself a bit lost. Well, what the heck is this big building? And then I thought, is that the Southern Cross airplane? And my God, it was. So I jumped out and had a look. And let me tell you a little bit about Sir Charles Kingsford Smith and just an, a great pioneer of Australian aviation that sometimes is some nowadays a little forgotten. He features on the $20 note. But his story goes right across Australia. Even if you've been to Carnarvon or the Gascoigne, Murchison, Tower, the name Sir Charles Kingsford Smith is synonymous with that particular part of Australia too. So this week I thought we'd learn a little bit more about Australia's famous aviator, Sir Charles Kingsford Smith. Now, if many of you might not know that I'm a fan of history, and in particular Australian history, and the, the exploits of early explorers and for me Charles Kingsford Smith was an early explorer as I mentioned in the intro the the first trans-pacific flight from the United States to Australia in 1928 when flight and airplanes were really still in their infancy so Kingsford Smith he was born on the 9th of February in Hamilton in Brisbane in Queensland and he was the son of William Charles Smith and his wife Catherine Mary Um, the family was uh, as I said in Queensland, they moved to Canada um, where they adopted the surname of Kingsford Smith and they returned from Canada in 1903. They returned to Sydney in 1907. Uh, Kingsford Smith educated in Vancouver in Canada before he enrolled at St Andrews Catholic School in Sydney. He joined the New Guard, which was a radical monarchist, anti-communist and allegedly fascist-inspired organisation before World War I. In 1915, he enlisted for duty in the first AIF and served at Gallipoli. In his 
Previously, he performed duty as a motorcycle dispatch rider before transferring to the Royal Flying Corps, earning his pilot wins in 1917. And he flew in the Flying Corps with distinction. Uh, He was shot down, he was awarded the Military Cross and actually had two toes amputated as well. After the war, he joined the Tasmanian man Cyril Maddox and to form Kingsford Smith Maddox Aeros Limited, which went on to fly joyriding services mainly in the north of England during the summer of 1919 using surplus um, World War I trainers. Later, Kingsford Smith, he worked as a barnstormer in the United States before returning to Australia in 1921. He did the same in Australia as a barnstormer and flew the airmail services and began to plan his record-breaking flight across the Pacific. And this is where it sort of takes an interesting turn because I was fascinated on a trip to Carnarvon that there was a plaque commemorating Charles Kingsford Smith who set up a business in Carnarvon. In 1924, fresh from a stint as a pilot for Australia's first commercial airline, Kingsford Smith and, Ch- and Keith Anderson, they bought a truck and they set up business as the Gascoigne Transport Company. Kingsford Smith figured that with his mechanical knowledge and the newfangled technology of motorised transport, that he would outdo the camel trains and the horse wagons on many inland delivery routes. He also thought that if it was right, the money he would make would finance his dream to be the first to fly the Pacific. One of the contracts was the mail run from Carnarvon to the Banjmole Goldfields near Mount Augustus in WA. And you can still do that particular journey. It's called the um, excuse me, Kingsford Smith Mail Run. And um, it does from Gascoigne Junction to Mika Thower, and you can follow in the real ruts, real ruts really, of transport pioneer Kingsford Smith. Um, he once trundled along the very route in his mail run from Carnarvon East to Mika Thower via Gascoigne Junction. And you can find out more on this particular tour. You can find it by going to outbackpathway.com. And uh, Kingsford Smith Mail Run also includes the geological wonder of Mount Augustus. It's a massive mount which soars 715 metres above the surrounding plain and is rich in Aboriginal history. This Outback Pathways 2 signage, it reveals all the Dreamtime stories as well. And the Kingsford Smith Mail Run visits townships of Carnarvon, Gascoigne Junction, Meekathowra, and you can also access the Miners Pathway from the Mail Run at Meekathowra and the Woolwagon Pathway at Gascoigne Junction too. For more information on this, jump onto Gascoigne Murchison Outback Outback Pathways, and there's a guidebook that you can also um, do that. Well, I'm going to talk to on pre- previous upcoming episodes of a previous trip that we've done following the Outback Pathways, and in, in particular the Kingsford Smith um, Mail Run. And interesting to note too is Kingsford Smith had many twists and turns in his little journey. And in particular, the Gascoigne Trading Company um, that he established in 1924 in Carnarvon, one of its early contracts, as I mentioned, was the mail run through Gascoigne to Meekathowra and expanded to serve industries between Perth and the Pilbara. It was a significant uh, banana delivery service to the markets in Perth. And in 1950, it was purchased by West Farmers, growing to become the largest transport operator in Western Australia at that time. Until 1971, it held the sole rights for direct road transport between Carnarvon and Perth. Perth. And in 1973, a joint venture was formed with Downard to enter the interstate freight forwarding market between Western Australia and Victoria. By 1985, the Gascoigne Trading Company purchased a 50% shareholding in Total West from Maine Nicholas. In 1996, after taking full ownership of Total West, West Farmers merged it with the Gascoigne Trading Company to form West Farmers Transport. And in 2001, the business was sold to Toll Holdings. So from 1924, established by Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, 
and Keith Anderson uh, went on to become a massive transport industry market leader um, being sold to Toll Holdings uh, just over 20 years ago and of course being set up so that he could fund his next flight in 1928. He applied for a commercials pilot's license in 1921 and he became one of Australia's first airline pilots when he was chosen by Norman Brearley to fly for the newly formed West Australian Airways. As a pilot at the West Australian Airways, he flew a Bristol Type 28 Coupe Tourier plane that would go on to make twice weekly mail drops to the astronomers during the 1922 Solar Eclipse expedition at Wallal in WA. During the First World War, Ken Richards had been an observer in Kingsford Smith's plane in France. When he moved to Cowra in New South Wales, Kingsford Smith owned an old Avro plane, and in 1922 he flew it to Cowra to see his old comrade. The two men flew under the Cowra traffic bridge. They also attempted to fly under the nearby railway bridge, but Richards fortunately noticed that the telephone lines and pulled the aircraft away only seconds from impact. So the Trans-Pacific Flight of 1928. Well, Kingsford Smith and Charles Arm arrived in the United States and began to search for an aircraft. Famed Australian polar explorer was Sir Hubert Wilkins. He sold them a Fokker monoplane, which they named the Southern Cross. And on 8.15am on the 31st of May 1928, Kingsford Smith and his four-man crew, they left Oakland, California to attempt the first Trans-Pacific Flight to Australia. The flight was to be in three stages, the first from Oakland to Wheeler Army Airfield in Hawaii. That was 3,870 kilometres, taking an uneventful 27 hours and 25 minutes. They took off from Barking Sands at Kaua since the runway at Wheeler was not long enough, and they headed for Fiji, which was 5,077 kilometres away. That took them 34 hours and 30 minutes. And this was the most demanding portion of the journey as they flew through a massive lightning storm near the equator. The third leg was the shortest. That was 2,700 kilometres, which they flew in 20 hours at an average speed of 84.15 miles per hour. They crossed the Australian coastland near Ballina before turning north to fly 170 kilometres to Brisbane, where they landed at 10.50am on the 9th of June. The total flight distance was approximately 11,566 kilometres. Kingsford Smith was met by a huge crowd of over 26,000 people at Eagle Farm Airport and was welcomed to Australia as a hero. Australian aviator Charles Um was the relief pilot. The other crewmen were Americans. They were James Warner, the radio operator, and Captain Harry Lyon, who was the navigator and the engineer. The National Film and Sound Archive of Australia has a film biography of Kingswood Smith called An Airman Remembers, and they also have got recordings of Kingswood Smith and Ulm talking about their journey. There was a stamp sheet and stamps featuring the Australian aviators Kingswood Smith and Ulm that was released by Australia Post in 1978, commemorating the 50th anniversary of the flight. A young New Zealander named Jean Batten attended a dinner in Australia during, which featured Kingsford Smith after that Trans-Pacific flight and told him, I'm going to learn to fly. She later convinced him to take her for a flight in the Southern Cross and went on to become a record-setting aviator herself. Following his example instead of his advice, he said, don't attempt to break men's records and don't fly at night, he told her in 1928 and remembered Wiley later. After making the first non-stop flight across Australia from Point Cook near Melbourne to Perth in WA in August 1928, Kingsford Smith and Ulm registered themselves as Australia's Australian National Airways. They then decided to attempt the Tasman Sea crossing to New Zealand, not only because it had not been yet done, but also in the hope that the Australian government would grant Australian National Airways a subsidised contract to carry scheduled mail regularly. 
At that time, the Tasman had remained unflown after the failure of the first attempt in January 28, 1928, when New Zealanders John Moncrief and George Hood had vanished without a tra- without trace. And talking briefly too about Australian National Airways, it was pretty short-lived uh, airline founded, as I said, in 1929 by Kingsford Smith and Charles Arm. It began operations in January 1930 with five Avro 61810s, which were similar aircraft to Kingsford Smith's famous Southern Cross. However, the airline folded in 1931 after the crash of the Southern Cloud in the Australian Alps between Sydney and Melbourne and the Southern Sun in Malaya. On um, the airline's um, closing, Southern Moon was brought by Alm. He refitted it for long-distance flight and registered it as the Faith in Australia. The other two aircraft were sold to Keith Virtue's New England Airways. So back to talking about the Trans-Tasman flight. See how I get a little bit waylaid sometimes? Kingsford Smith's flight was planned to take off from Richmond near Sydney on Sunday the 2nd of September 1928 with a scheduled landing around 9am on the 3rd of September at Wigram Airdrome near Christchurch, which was the principal city in the South Island of New Zealand. This plan drew a storm of protest from New Zealand churchmen about the sanctity of the Sabbath being set at naught. The Mayor of Christchurch supported the churchmen and cabled a protest to Kingsford Smith. As it happened, unfavourable weather developed over the Tasman and the flight was deferred, so it's not known whether or not Kingsford Smith would have heated that particular cable. Accompanied by Ulm, navigator Arthur, uh, Harold Arthur Litchfield and radio operator Thomas H. McWilliams, a New Zealander made available by the New Zealand government, Kingsford Smith left Richmond on the evening of the 10th of September, planning to fly overnight to a daylight landing after a flight of about 14 hours. The 2,600-kilometre planned route was only just over half the distance between Hawaii and Fiji. After a stormy flight at times through icy conditions, the Southern Cross made landfall in much improved weather near the Cook Strait, which is the passage between New Zealand's two main islands. At an estimated 241 kilometres out from New Zealand, the crew dropped a wreath in memory of the two New Zealanders who had disappeared during their attempt to cross the Tasman earlier that year. There was a tremendous welcome in Christchurch where the Southern Cross landed at 0922 hours after a flight of 14 hours and 25 minutes. About 30,000 people made their way to the airfield, including many students from state schools who were actually given the day off and the public servants too who were granted leave until 11am. The event was also broadcast live on radio. While the New Zealand Air Force overhauled the Southern Cross free of charge, Kingsford, Smith and Ulm were taken on a triumphant tour of New Zealand flying in Bristol fighters. The return to Sydney was made from Blenheim, a small city in the north of the South Island. They were hampered by fog, severe weather and minor navigational errors. The flight to Richmond took over 23 hours and on touchdown the aircraft had enough fuel for only another 10 minutes flying. After collecting his old bus, which he referred to the Southern Cross from the Fokker Aircraft Company in the Netherlands, where it had been overhauled in June 1930, Kingsford Smith achieved an east-west crossing of the Atlantic from Ireland to Newfoundland in 31 and a half hours, having taken off from Port Arnock Beach, which is the Velvet Strand just north of Dublin. New York gave him her tumultuous welcome. The Southern Cross continued on to Oakland, California, completing a circumnavigation of the world, which began in 1928. In 1930, he competed in an Australia to England to Australia air race and flying solo, he went the event taking 13 days. He arrived in Sydney on the 22nd of October 1930. 
1931, he purchased an Avro Avian and he named it the Southern Cross Miner to attempt the Australia to England flight. He later sold the aircraft to Captain Bill Lancaster, who va- vanished on the 11th of April 1933 over the Sahara Desert. Lancaster's remains were not found until 1962. The wreck of the Southern Cross Miner is now in the Queensland Museum. In the early 1930s, Smith began developing the Southern Cross automobile as a side project, and in 1933, at Seven Mile Beach in New South Wales, that was used by Kingswood Smith as a runway for the first commercial flight between Australia and New Zealand. In the next year, he purchased a Lockheed Altair, the Lady Southern Cross, with the intention of competing in the famous McRobertson Air Race. When we come back, we'll find out more about Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, and in particular, we'll find out more about the famous plane, the Southern Cross. Back with more of the Road Less Travelled podcast in just a moment. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travelled podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled podcast with Nikki Shea. Welcome back. This week we're looking at the history of Sir Charles Kingsford Smith and why well, I stumbled on his famous aircraft, the Southern Cross, on display just outside Brisbane Airport here in Australia. So what of the fate of Sir Charles Kingsford Smith? Well, Smithy and his co-pilot John Thompson were uh, flying the Lady Southern Cross overnight from Alabad, India to Singapore as part of their attempt to break the England-Australia speed record, which was held by Scott and Black when they disappeared over the Andaman Sea in the early hours of the 8th of November 1935. Now, aviator Jimmy Melrose claimed to have seen the Lady Southern Cross fighting a storm 150 miles from shore and 200 feet over the sea with fire coming from its exhaust. Despite a search for 74 hours over the Bay of Bengal by one person, which was British pilot Eric Stanley Greenwood, their bodies were never recovered. 18 months later, Burmese fishermen found the undercarriage leg and wheel with its tyre still inflated, which had been washed ashore at the Air Island on the Gulf of Mataban, about three kilometres off the southeast coastline of Burma, some 137 kilometres south of Motama, which is formerly known as Mataban. Lockheed confirmed the undercarriage leg to be from the Lady Southern Cross. Botanists to examine the weeds clinging to the undercarriage leg estimated the aircraft lies not far from the island at a depth of approximately 15 fathoms or 90 feet or 27 metres. The undercarriage leg is now on public display at the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, Australia. Now, in 2009, filmmaker and explorer Damien Lay stated that he was certain he'd found the Lady Southern Cross. The location of the claimed find was widely misreported as is the Bay of Bengal. However, the 2009 search was in fact at the very same location where that landing gear had been found back in 1937 at A Island in the Adaman Sea. Kingsford Smith, he was survived by his wife Mary, Lady Kingsford Smith, and their three-year-old son Charles Jr., Kingsford Smith's autobiography, My Flying Life, was published posthumously in 1937 and became a bestseller. 
Following the joint Australian Myanmar Ladies Southern Cross search expedition in 2009, Damien Lay conducted a total of 10 further expeditions to recover wreckage from the site. In 2011, he claimed to have found the wreckage, but that claim has been widely disputed with no evidence confirming the claim ever been forthcoming. The location of the site is approximately 1.8 miles off the coast of Myanmar and has never been publicly released. Damien Lay has worked closely with both the Kingsford Smith and the family and the families of Tommy uh, since 2005. It was a privately funded project which was supported by the government and the people of Myanmar and as of December 2017 Lay was still searching for parts of the Lady Southern Cross. So Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, um, Qantas named its six Airbus, the A380, after Kingsford Smith. KLM named one of its Boeing 747s after Kingsford Smith. And there's uh, a moonlit, um, which is an inferior minor body of Saturn, is named after Kingsford Smith. He was on the $20 note. Um, Albert Park in Suville, where he landed on the Trans-Pacific flight, now contains the Kingsford Smith um, Pavilion and, of course, the Kingsford Smith Memorial houses the Southern Cross at Brisbane's International Airport. It's now preserved and displayed in a purpose-built memorial near the actual terminal of Brisbane Airport. He sold the plane to the Australian government in 1935 for £3,000. He did so so it could be put on permanent display for the public and the plan was carefully stored for many years before this current memorial was actually built and the major airport of sydney located at the suburb of mascot mascot was named kingsford smith international airport in his honor the federal electorate surrounding the airport is named the division of kingsford smith and includes the suburb of kingsford as well he was inducted into the international air and space hall of fame at the san diego air and space museum in 1986 he was knighted in 1932's king's birthday honors list as a knight. He received the accolade on the 3rd of June 1932 from His Excellency Sir Isaac Isaac who was the Governor General of Australia for Services to Aviation and was later appointed an Honorary Air Commodore of the Royal Australian Air Force. Now the plane, the Southern Cross, it is encased in glass. You can walk around it. There's interpretive signage as well. It's a Fokker tri-motor monoplane. It was flown by Kingsford Smith, uh, Charles Arm, Harry Lyon and James Warner in the first ever trans-Pacific flight to Australia from the mainland of the United States of a distance of 11,670 kilometres or 7,250 miles in 1928. Now the Southern Cross became, became, began life as a it was known as the Detroiter, which was a polar exploration aircraft of the Detroit News Wilkin Arctic Expedition. The aircraft had crashed in Alaska in 1926 and was recovered and repaired by the Australian expedition leader, Herbert Wilkins. Wilkins, who had decided that the Fokker was too large for his Arctic explorations, met with Kingsford Smith and Charles Arm in San Francisco and arranged to sell them the aircraft without engines or instruments. So having fitted the aircraft with engines and other required parts, Smith made two attempts at the world endurance record in an attempt to raise funds and interest for his trans-Pacific flight. However, after the New South Wales government withdrew its sponsorship of the flight, it looked like the money would run out and Kingsford Smith would have to sell the Southern Cross. The aircraft was bought by American aviator and philanderist and, uh, Alan Hancock, who then loaned it back to Kingsford Smith and Ulm. The three right whirlwind engines were funded by Melbourne businessman Sydney Meyer of the Meyer Emporium fame. On the 31st of May 1928, the crew, Kingsford Smith, Charles Arm and the Americans, Harry Lyon, who was the navigator, and James Warner, who was the radio operator, took off from Oakland, California in the United States. 
The Southern Cross stopped for rest and refuelling in Hawaii before setting off for Fiji. And this leg of the journey, as I said earlier, took 34 and a half hours of flight across open seas before gliding past the Grand Pacific Hotel in Suva, where a large and enthusiastic crowd saw the first aircraft to land in Fiji touch down at Albert Park. The Southern Cross landed at Eagle Farm Airport in Brisbane, Queensland, on the 9th of June, where a crowd were waiting to greet the Southern Cross at its arrival at the airport. It flew to Sydney the following day. Now, the aircraft was in constant radio communication with ships and shore during the flight using four transmitters and three receivers, which were powered by ram air turbine attached to the fuselage below the cockpit. The transmitters include a 150-watt shortwave set operating at 33.5 metres wavelength and two 60-watt sets operating at 600 metres, with one 600-metre emergency waterproof set capable of operating eight hours submerged. Receivers sharing a common audio amplifier included a shortwave, longwave and beacon. The first paid commercial messages were sent and received during the flight and a new world record distance for radio was set with a shortwave reception at, in South Africa. The long way around the world at 12,800 miles or 20,600 kilometres. Direct shortwave aircraft to shore communications were maintained with the Pacific Coast until the flight was four hours out of Honolulu, which had been monitoring the flight from two hours after its departure with a similar reception overlap on the Honolulu to Suva leg. Success on this flight influenced Admiral Byrd to equip his three Antarctic expeditions um, with similar equipment. So Smith, Ulm, Gordon Taylor also made the first non-stop trans-Tasmanian flight in the Southern Cross over the Tasman Sea from Australia to New Zealand, beginning with the first crossing, as I said earlier, 10th to 11th of September at a distance of 2,670 uh, kilometres or 1,660 miles. They, they then flew back to Australia. Guy Menzies completed the first solo trans-Tasmanian flight in the Southern Cross Junior in 1931. So shortly before Sir Charles Kingsford Smith's deaths in 1935, he sold the Southern Cross to the Commonwealth of Australia for display in a museum. The aircraft was bought out of retirement briefly in 1945 for the filming of the movie Smithy. The machine was refurbished in 1985 under the supervision of Jim Schofield, who was a senior aviation civil servant and an air crash investigator. The Southern Cross, it is now preserved in a special glass hangar memorial on Airport Drive at Brisbane Airport. Australian aviation enthusiast Austin Byrne was part of the large crowd at Sydney's mascot aerodrome in June 1928 to welcome the Southern Cross and its crew following their successful Trans-Pacific flight. Witnessing this event inspired Byrne to make a 124-scale model of the Southern Cross made mostly from brass finished in gold and silver plating. Kingsford Smith unfortunately disappeared before Byrne had completed the model and after his disappearance continued to expand and enhance his tribute with paintings, photographs, documents and artwork he created, designed or commissioned. Between 1930 and his death in 1993, Byrne devoted his life to creating and touring his Southern Cross Memorial. Now, a full-size flying reproduction of the Southern Cross was built in South Australia between 1980 and 1987, and it is the largest known reproduction aircraft in the world. Sergeant Anthony Loray of the Royal Australian Air Force Aircraft Research and Development Union 
uh, unit rather, oversaw its construction. In 2002, on the 25th of May, at Parafield, South Australia, she lost a main wheel on takeoff. The replica was landed on one good wheel and tail skid with the pilot, keeping the damaged undercarriage off the ground by keeping the wing high in the air. And when the aircraft stopped, the wing came down and snapped off three metres from the wing tip. After considerable negotiation, the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society acquired the aircraft from the South Australian Government in 2010 and the aircraft was transported to a facility at Illawarra in New South Wales. The replica aircraft is being restored to full airworthy status by these volunteers and will include restoration of the handcrafted all-wood spruce and ply wing and the aircraft too carries the original registration of VHUSU. The Southern Cross original restoration was 1985. This number can be seen on the wings and tail of the aircraft in photos taken at the time of its first world-breaking flight. Kingsford Smith re-registered in Australia as G-A-U-S-U the 4th of July 1928 to the 3rd of July 1929 and then VHUSU on April the 5th 1931. The 1985 marks the original colour scheme that were restored when the plane went on public display. The Southern Cross plane it was named after the Southern Cross constellation of obviously the popular symbol of the southern hemisphere in general and of course in Australia in particular. Kingsford Smith continued the theme with his later aircraft, Southern Cross Minor and Southern Cross Junior, both Avro Avians. Miss Southern Cross was a Percival Gull and the Lady Southern Cross was a Lockheed Altair. He then produced a car with the name and gave the aircraft operated by his airline, the Australian National Airways, similar names beginning with Southern. In September 2010, the old Gateway Motorway, which runs past the site of the original Eagle Farm Airport, was renamed Southern Cross Way. And that replica of the Southern Cross that has been um, uh, refitted um, is due to be um, flown this year, 2022, in Wings of Illawarra in New South Wales. It's um, one of Australia's most famous aircraft, and the exact replica is nearly ready to take to the skies again. So uh, make sure that you keep on to, uh, to that, and we'll keep you updated where we can. That's it for this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. A bit of a walk back in history with Sir Charles Kingsford-Smith, who travelled all around not only the world in a plane, but across Australia as well. We've got so much great stuff coming up on the Road Less Travel podcast. This coming week, we're off to the Victoria Caravan and Camping Show, so it'll be great to give you a bit of a review. We're checking out some new caravans as well to join the fleet. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you next week somewhere on the Road Less Travel. Bye for now. I've been everywhere. Thanks for listening. The Road Less Traveled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. 